Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of ENT in a Nutshell. I will be your host. My name is Linda Yin, and I am joined today by Dr. Carol Bradford, who is a head and neck surgeon. Dr. Bradford, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm really delighted to be here. So today we're going to talk about Merkel cell carcinomas, which is a rare cutaneous malignancy. And although this can occur in um, sun-exposed areas of the body and anywhere in the body, really, for the purposes of this talk, we're going to be focusing on the head and neck region. So Dr. Bradford, when a patient comes to your clinic who might have a Merkel cell carcinoma, what is the typical presentation? So the typical presentation of a Merkel cell carcinoma is a firm, purplish, or reddish nodule on the skin. It's usually, this lesion is usually non-tender, and it's usually solitary. The epidermal changes can actually be quite subtle, and the lesion could even look like a subcutaneous mass with normal overlying skin. When we ask the patient about the history, they might uh, note uh, uh, rapid growth. And usually the, the primary lesion is, again, solitary and pretty small, less than two centimeters. And um, as a reminder, the head and neck region and the extremities are by far the most common sites of disease. The trunk is pretty unlikely, and, and we really think that that's related to uh, sun exposure. With this in mind, when a patient comes to see you, what sort of physical exam will you perform when you focus on assessing the Merkel cell? So you want to begin by assessing the primary lesion, its size. Um, I always think it's good to uh, palpate the lesion and assess its mobility, um, see if it's free from underlying uh, tissues, um, things like the parotid gland or any um, you know, how close is it to um, any bone or cartilage of the nose or what have you. Um, it's also uh, really, really important because uh, Merkel cell carcinoma uh, can spread to the regional lymph nodes to very, do a very, very careful lymph node exam, uh, palpating the parotid basin and the cervical uh, basins, both uh, uh, in the front of the neck as well as uh, posteriorly. Now, I understand that Merkel cell cancer is fairly rare, but can you tell us a little bit about the epidemiology? For example, what does the typical patient that comes to see you with Merkel cell look like? So it is um, a pretty rare tumor. Um, it does occur in older patients. Um, the most Typical presentation, although not exclusively, is an elderly Caucasian male. And it turns out that Merkel cell cancers are much more common uh, in people over the age of 65. In fact, a remarkable 24 times more uh, common. Uh, and it's more common in men than in women. Um, and like many other forms of skin cancer, it's, uh, it's a rare malignancy, but its incidence is definitely on the rise. Now, we already talked about some risk factors for disease. Outside of age and race, are there any other risk factors that can predispose someone to develop a Merkel cell cancer? 
So we already talked about sun exposure. And so sun exposure is really a risk for uh, almost all forms of skin cancer. A unique risk for Merkel cell carcinoma uh, that's related to other skin cancers, but it's pretty prominent in Merkel cell cancer is a, a history of immunosuppression. For example, due to a previous transplant, organ, bone marrow, uh, et cetera, other um, immunosuppressed conditions like HIV uh, and other hematologic malignancies. And these are really very significant risk factors for Merkel cell carcinoma. For those of you who like to remember mnemonics, uh, AEIOU is sometimes used to remind learners of the risk factors and features of Merkel cell cancer. So asymptomatic for A, E is expanding rapidly, I is for immunosuppression, O is older than 50, and U is for UV exposed skin. And notably, about 90% of patients with Merkel cell carcinoma have at least three of these five characteristics. Now, when a patient presents to you with these signs and symptoms, you're, of course, thinking and uh, worrying about a Merkel cell cancer. But what else might be on your differential diagnosis? So that's a great question. It's really always important to think about all the things this could represent. So the three most common forms of cutaneous malignancy are basal cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma, and melanoma. And so these are all in the differential diagnosis. Um, but I, I, again, uh, especially, and each of these lesions has its own clinical presentation, but especially in when it's a purplish, bluish, or red nodule, that's pretty characteristic, and, and none of the other tumors look exactly like a Merkel cell carcinoma. And you want to, when it's reddish or bluish, you just, you definitely want to consider, especially in, in an older patient, Merkel cell uh, carcinoma. Um, there are other benign lesions that can also uh, be in the differential when you have a, a, a nodular lesion. Those could be an epidermoid cyst, a sebaceous cyst, even a fatty tumor, uh, which usually does not have overlying skin changes, or a benign cutaneous lesion like a pyogenic granuloma, which curiously actually is red and fleshy as well. Okay, let's move on to talk a little bit about pathophysiology now. So the question of the day is, what exactly is a Merkel cell? Well, that is a great question. So a um, little bit of history. Uh, uh, it's named after a German anatomist by the name of Frederick Merkel, who first described uh, Merkel cells. Microscopically, they appear as pale, large cells in the basal layer of the epidermis. They form synapses with enlarged nerve terminals of sensory nerve fibers. Merkel cells function as mechanoreceptors that are part of the neuroendocrine system. So embryologically, they have a neural crest origin. And um, 
really a Merkel cell carcinoma is really a neuroendocrine carcinoma of the skin. So how does a Merkel cell turn into a Merkel cell carcinoma, or does it even derive from a Merkel cell? That is a fabulous question. So while Merkel cell carcinomas are neuroendocrine malignancies, it's not clear exactly which cell they arise from. They may arise from Merkel cells, but they could also arise from dermal fibroblasts that enter the Merkel cell differentiation pathway. So the bottom line is the pathogenesis of Merkel cell carcinoma is very complex and really not fully understood. And what's interesting is that in the last decade, we've really had an increased understanding of the causes of Merkel cell carcinoma. And a a pretty dramatic discovery was made uh, not uh, very long ago, um, such that uh, a virus called the Merkel cell polyoma virus is believed to cause the majority of Merkel cell carcinoma cases in the United States. Um, up to about 80%. And it's actually this viral etiology, and again, my understanding and is the, is the link to um, perhaps the immunosuppressed host status. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, we can't talk about Merkel cell without talking about the polyoma virus. So can you tell me what this virus is and how does one get it? Well, that's, again, a fabulous question. So um, this particular virus was only discovered in 2008. I would have actually guessed more recently. So it's just over 10 years ago. The Merkel cell polyoma virus is a double-stranded DNA virus. The primary infection with this virus is not actually believed to cause any signs or symptoms. Uh, In general, in fact, polyoma viruses do not cause illness in healthy patients, but but may be associated with disease in immunocompromised patients. The primary infection likely occurs in childhood. The route of transmission is largely unknown, but fecal-oral transmission has been considered as the virus can be found in the GI tract. In older patients or immunosuppressed patients, the polyoma virus genome is thought to integrate itself into the host genome, leading to changes in host gene expression that eventually leads to cancer. Integration is a rare event in polyoma virus infection, and it's really not known why uh, integration occurs in some people uh, but not others. And curiously, some of this integration, yes or no, can also be said of another head and neck viral infection we all know pretty well, which is human papillomavirus. Yes, there are a lot of interesting parallels here. But on pathology, uh, this is a very different tumor than a squamous cell, right? So um, you mentioned this is a neuroendocrine tumor. So what does a Merkel cell carcinoma look like on pathology? So it looks like a high-grade aggressive neuroendocrine tumor. And what that means is that there is a high density of small blue round cells or small round blue cells. And we all know there's a bunch of small round blue cell neoplasms. And uh, these cells have large nuclei 
scant cytoplasm, and high rates of mitosis, apoptosis, and necrosis. Really importantly, um, uh, there is an um, immunohistochemical marker that's a highly sensitive marker, CK20 or, or cytokeratin 20, and other neuroendocrine markers uh, are positive, including neuron-specific enolase, synaptophysin, and chromogranin A. But that CK20 is the most sensitive marker and is very specific for Merkel cell carcinoma. Great. Let's talk a little bit about workup. So after evaluating a patient uh, clinically who has Merkel cell, we're going to need to stage the tumor. What imaging modalities are you using to help us stage that tumor? It's, it's interesting, and as we all know, how many imaging studies to order at the outset um, versus uh, using sentinel lymph node biopsy to uh, be the primary staging uh, modality is really, really uh, important. Um, so there, because it is a rare tumor, there really is no consensus on the best imaging modality for uh, diagnosis. My preference would be to uh, begin with sentinel lymph node biopsy, which is both uh, a regional uh, staging modality, but also gives uh, tremendous prognostic information. Um, and then uh, again, in my own practice, I would typically reserve um, you know, systemic imaging with PET scan MRIs or CT scans uh, to patients who have more advanced stage of disease with node positivity. Yeah. So let's talk about the patient that presents with an N0 neck. So what is the risk of having an occult uh, node metastasis in a patient that comes in with a Merkel cell that seemingly has, has a negative neck? So about 25 to 30% of patients presenting with clinically apparent uh, nodal disease at presentation. So a third will have palpable nodes. And another uh, 16 to 38% actually present with occult nodal disease. So in all, um, uh, there's a pretty high risk of nodal disease in all. And sentinel lymph node biopsy to stage the uh, N0 neck is really considered the standard of care uh, in patients. Um, and that's also consistent with the NCCN guidelines. So can you educate us on what a sentinel lymph node biopsy is? I know you've done quite a bit of work with this for all cutaneous malignancies. How are you using it in Merkel cell? So um, sentinel lymph node biopsy is really a very useful tool to stage the regional nodal basin in a number of cutaneous malignancies, uh, specifically melanoma, uh, occasionally a growing role in squamous cell carcinoma of the skin, but it's, it plays a key role in Merkel cell carcinoma. So preoperatively, patients undergo a lymphocentogram, uh, whereby an, a radioactive tracer is uh, injected around the primary site. This is usually done in nuclear medicine. Um, and uh, 
pictures are taken many times, um, high resolution uh, images are gathered. And, um, and what happens is those uh, that radionuclide tracer dye basically goes to the primary echelon or sentinel draining node or nodes. And, um, and then the patient is brought to the operating room where a radioactive probe is used to identify the draining nodal, the, the specific nodes. Many of us also add uh, dye, um, such as methylene blue or isosulfan blue dye, also injected around that primary site in the intradermal um, space. Uh, to co-localize with the radioactive dye. And so what we're really looking for is those regional lymph nodes that are both hot, meaning radioactive, and blue. Um, and then those few node or nodes, the sentinel nodes, will be removed uh, completely uh, without rupture and sent uh, to the pathologist for uh, serial sectioning and um, uh, immunostaining to look for signs of spread of Merkel cell to the lymph node. We'll go into management a little bit later and talk about exactly what to do. Uh, but what is what is your typical uh, out, you know uh, understanding of the role that the sentinel lymph node biopsy plays in prognosis um, and in further steps of management? So. Uh, the status of the sentinel lymph node uh, is clearly an uh, important staging tool uh, because it indicates whether um, patients are N0 or N positive. Um, but the, its ability to um, predict disease prognosis remains a bit um, less clear. Um, and it's a little bit more uh, controversial. And it's also um, unclear because, um, again, this is a rare tumor. There's not the robust body of evidence there are for more common types of cutaneous malignancies. Um, so the real question is, you know, if there is a positive sentinel lymph node is the treatment paradigm. And again, we'll We'll talk more about that. It's is it completion neck dissection or radiation therapy? But I do think that accurate staging of of all malignancies, including Merkel cell, and appropriate treatment of the sites of disease are the best ways we can to offer our patients the best uh, chance to uh, be cured. And and I do think has some impact upon prognosis. Let's talk about staging now. So NCCN guidelines and AJCC staging can get quite complicated, but can you give us a general framework to think about how Merkel cell is staged? Yes, we all love staging. And for many um, um, complex staging systems, I think it's actually fair game to um, have a little, you know, laminated card in one's uh, pocket. So. Um, because I think we want to make sure we're always staging patients accurately, and many cutaneous malignancy staging is pretty complicated. 
So uh, stage one tumors um, are T1, N0, M0. This one's the easiest one, which means that the primary tumor is less than two centimeters in diameter and there is no nodal or distant spread. Stage 2A tumors are T2 or T3, N0, M0. So more than two centimeters and less than five centimeters for a T2 and greater than five centimeters for a T3, but again, they're 2A because of that N0, M0. Stage 2B tumors are T4, which are locally advanced, but are still N0, M0, meaning no nodal or distant disease. Stage 3A tumors are the ones with occult nodal metastases detected by sentinel lymph node. And this is where that sentinel lymph node biopsy is really important in detecting micro metastatic disease, which is clinically occult. Stage 3B tumors have clinically apparent nodal disease, so N-positive palpable uh, nodal disease, or in-transit metastases. And then finally, stage 4 tumors are patients who have distant metastatic disease. And before we go on to talk about management, now uh, with the Merkel cell polyoma virus, there are a lot of serology tests coming out. Sometimes patients come with them. Um, and what does this mean? How we how should we be using this in, in our workup? You know, great question. And this is actually a very new area, and it's a very active area of research. So the current NCCN guidelines do state that polyoma virus oncoprotein antibodies can be considered for part of the initial workup. Um, there are actually two different types of antibodies commonly detected in Merkel cell cancer patients. VP1 is a major capsid protein detected in a high proportion of healthy adults, but more frequently in Merkel cell cancer patients. And it turns out, again, this is pretty, uh, this is newer uh, work, that patients with high VP1 antibodies may, may actually have a better prognosis. And seronegative patients may have a higher risk of recurrence. A second um, antibody is uh, against the T antigen, and T antigens are regulatory proteins from the polyoma virus with oncogenic potential. Antibodies against the T antigens may be a sign of tumor burden and more advanced disease progression. Still very early and sort of difficult to interpret. Let's talk about some things that we have a better grasp on. So we alluded to the fact that this is a highly aggressive tumor. What is the general prognosis like for this disease without treatment? So without treatment, like most aggressive uh, malignancies, uh, without treatment, this cancer has a very poor prognosis, uh, especially compared to other cutaneous malignancies. Um, and further, Merkel cell carcinoma of the head and neck 
region appears to have a worse prognosis than Merkel cell carcinomas from other body sites. Um, Meta-analyses have shown that at least half of Merkel cell cancer patients develop lymph node metastasis uh, at some point over the course of uh, their illness, uh, and uh, up to a third will actually develop distant metastases. And the most common sites of distant metastases include the bones, lungs, and liver. Um, unfortunately, recurrence rates are also quite high in this disease and can be up to 50% uh, of all cases. On the more positive note, local disease control rates at five years are about 80%. Regional disease um, does actually decrease the five-year survival uh, of patients to about 50%. So that's really reflects on the importance of the uh, sentinel lymph node biopsy for uh, patients with occult nodal disease because it has a big impact upon survival rates. And patients with distant metastatic disease really have quite a poor five-year survival rate at about 10 to 20%. So at your institution, um, or at most in institutions, I should say, how is the best way to manage Merkel cell carcinoma? Well, that's um, a really great question. I'm, I'm proud to say that um, I was uh, part of one of the first Merkel cell uh, tumor boards, multidisciplinary tumor boards uh, launched in the country and in the group uh, at my institution was, I think, uh, pivotal in, in really providing very early guidance about uh, treatment algorithms uh, for this disease. So like in many um, um, cancer teams, it's important to have uh, surgeons um, for Merkel cell of the head and neck, that's oftentimes an otolaryngologist, head and neck surgeon. Um, medical and radiation oncologists are key members of our multidisciplinary team, plus pathologists uh, and radiologists. And many times, um, you know, nurses, um, social workers, and other uh, uh, members of our interdisciplinary teams. Let's get into some details. So for Merkel cell cancer that is localized uh, without regional spread, what is the standard of care treatment? So the primary treatment of um, the vast majority of Merkel cell uh, cancers who, you know, unless there's very extensive dis distant disease burden, but the primary modality is surgery. Um, so typically, that would be um, surgical resection, uh, wide local excision with generous margins, uh, approximately two centimeters to even three centimeters. But three centimeters, as we all know, is hard to achieve um, in the head and neck. Mohs microsurgery may be an alternative, but I'll um, state uh, for this audience that I uh, personally prefer wide local ex excision uh, in this case. We would definitely recommend that sentinel lymph node biopsy for regional staging be offered and performed in all uh, 
cases of localized Merkel cell cancer without obvious nodal disease. And this is really important given what we've discussed already, which is high rates of occult nodal metastases. So what's interesting about Merkel cell um, carcinoma that's really different from melanoma is that this is actually a very radiosensitive tumor, whereas melanoma is very radio-resistant. And so, um, you know, when we should use adjuvant radiation therapy in localized early stage Merkel cell cancer is pretty unclear, but it's pretty effective. And so um, it can be used if there's sort of a more significant primary tumor or in cases where sentinel lymph node biopsy might not uh, be able to be performed or is not successful. But you can also use um, radiation therapy, obviously, as adjuvant therapy when there are positive regional nodes. So in the case of localized disease where your sentinel lymph node is negative, how do you manage these patients? In cases with um, a negative sentinel lymph node biopsy and widely clear margins at the primary site, one option could definitely just be op- close observation and surveillance. If there are any indications that the margins are close or it has um, some other aggressive features, you know, lymphovascular invasion or et cetera, or you're worried about close margins, uh, in those cases, uh, one can consider adding adjuvant radiation therapy, which will, which can certainly be a useful adjunct to attaining local control. Shifting gears now, in the patient with regional disease, so either patients, well, let's talk about both situations. So patients with obvious nodal disease and then patients with a positive sentinel lymph node biopsy, what are the next steps in management? Great. So with Palpable nodal disease, um, the definitive management of the neck is uh, neck dissection um, and or radiation therapy. Patients who have a positive uh, sentinel lymph node should also undergo definitive management of the neck. Um, And like in melanoma, this is an evolving area, especially with the radiosensitivity of this tumor type, but a c- completion neck dissection can, can and should definitely be offered to patients. And patients can also, again, be discussed at your multidisciplinary tumor board to discuss the role of adjuvant radiation therapy that can depend upon an extent of lymph node involvement and presence of extracapsular extension. But it's also possible, you can probably actually get pretty decent regional control if you have a positive sentinel lymph node and you choose not to do a completion neck dissection, you can add radiation therapy. And that also um, will likely provide a, a very reasonable regional control. Importantly, uh, there's really no role for adjuvant chemotherapy in the patients who are N-positive. 
platinum agents really have uh, no um, no response uh, in this uh, disease entity. That brings up uh, us to the question of metastatic disease. Now, usually for squamous cells, we think of platinum agents and other systemic chemotherapies. How is this managed in Merkel cell? As in many malignancies, uh, distant metastatic dis- disease is, uh, is associated with a very poor prognosis. There are, this is though an active area of investigation, and there are ongoing clinical trials. Because of the impact of immunosuppression, it's always a really good strategy to contact uh, the physicians managing the immunosuppressant medications and ask if those can be minimized because your immune system is your greatest uh, adjunct to helping fight the cancer. Um, but what's important is the uh, now uh, immune checkpoint in Inhibitors are now becoming the gold standard for metastatic Merkel cell carcinoma. Um, uh, and there are a number of them. Um, uh, uh, Avalumab uh, is a PDL1 inhibitor. Uh, it's a newer one, it's a newer agent, and this is actually first line therapy and other perhaps better known. Um, uh, immunotherapy drugs, including pembrolizumab, nivolumab, and ipilimumab, are also uh, effective. Again, you would want to um, consult with uh, a medical oncology who would uh, assess the risks and benefits of these uh, treatments um, in 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 the patient. Um, there are also some future directions uh, on the horizon. Um, uh, cellular adapt- adoptive immunotherapy with um, tumor infiltrating lymphocytes specific to Merkel cell polyomavirus are a very, very active and interesting uh, area of investigation. Um, when Because there's really a known uh, target, it's that Merkel cell polyomavirus. So, um, it would be it'll be interesting to learn how those uh, trials pan out. All right, and finally, after we've uh, managed uh, the patient uh, with surgery or combination of surgery and radiation and systemic therapy, how do you typically follow up with these patients after treatment? Surveillance is really really important, and um, we, as the head and neck surgeons, can do that, but we can also ask uh, our dermatology colleagues and our primary care colleagues to be partners in the routine follow-up of these patients. So every uh, every one of these patients needs a follow-up plan and needs to be seen every three to six months uh, for the first three years and then typically every six to 12 months. So a question that often arises is when should we order routine imaging? And I would say that in the lower risk, early stage, stage one and two patients, probably those patients may not actually need routine serial imaging. But uh, it's still important to do a careful physical exam and a robust review of symptoms and systems. And if symptoms 
uh, do arise that are concerning, uh, use those uh, symptoms to guide staging modalities. Now, patients who are N positive and have uh, more advanced nodal disease, I, I think really in partnership with your medical oncology and radiation oncology teams, many of those patients may actually benefit uh, from uh, consideration of uh, periodic imaging, which can be CAT scanning uh, and or PET scanning. Um, and again, a new and evolving area is patients who are actually seropositive for Merkel cell polyoma virus oncoprotein antibodies. Rising titers of the T antigen antibody may actually be an early sign of recurrence. So in this case, that actually could be a very specific serologic or blood test that would be consistent with recurrence, and that would also then guide a search for recurrent disease. So fascinating uh, area of investigation uh, with lots of progress being made in this unusual tumor, but uh, one that is growing a bit in its prevalence. Interesting indeed. Yes. So those were all of the questions that I had about Merkel cell cancer. Uh, is there anything else that you want to emphasize for the listener or anything that we haven't appropriately covered? So I think it might be helpful to just sort of uh, complete um, our session together with sort of, you know, what are the take-home points for Merkel cell? So Merkel cell is a fairly unusual tumor. It's really a red fleshy tumor that occurs most typically in older men, uh, but also can occur in immunosuppressed patients. We believe it is caused by the Merkel cell polyoma virus in the vast majority of cases. Merkel cell has a very uh, a very high rate of uh, nodal involvement with roughly uh, a quarter or a third of the cases being uh, palpable and another quarter or third being occult. So for patients with no palpable regional nodal disease, sentinel lymph node biopsy really plays a, an, a key role in staging the disease and defining the treatment paradigm. So wide local surgery is the mainstay of treatment, wide local excision of the primary to attain widely clear surgical margins, and management of uh, the regional basin either via the staging modality of sentinel lymph node biopsy or for node positive disease, uh, therapeutic lymph node dissection, which may include parotid for those lesions that drain through the parotid basin and neck dissection but also radiation therapy uh, in this radioresponsive tumor plays a very important role in uh, more advanced primary tumors and advanced nodal disease. And finally, distant metastatic disease has a poor prognosis, but there's actually been meaningful progress in this regard with immunotherapy uh, or immune checkpoint inhibitors. So there's a lot of um, growing promise in the treatment uh, of this uh, disease. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Bradford. I appreciate your time, and I definitely learned a lot, and I hope the listener does as well. 
Well, thank you so much. And it's really been a true honor and privilege to participate in this educational podcast on Merkel cell carcinoma. Thank you so much. All right. And usually we would do a summary section here, but because Dr. Bradford gave such a great summary of the key points in the talk, I think we'll go ahead and go straight into the question and answer session. So now I'll provide some questions that highlight some key points and uh, give a brief pause, and then I will provide the answer. So what are the hallmark risk factors uh, and signs of Merkel cell carcinoma? The major hallmarks and signs of Merkel cell carcinoma can be remembered by the mnemonic AEIOU. A stands for asymptomatic. E stands for expanding rapidly. I stands for immunosuppression. O stands for older than 50. And U stands for UV or sun-exposed skin. More than 90% of patients with Merkel cell will have at least three of these five characteristics. What type of cell is a Merkel cell? A Merkel cell is a mechanoreceptor. That means that they live in the basal layer of the epidermis and they form synapses with the nerve terminals of sensory nerve fibers. When touch occurs on the skin, the Merkel cells are able to sense this and then transmit uh, the signal down the axon of the sensory nerve back to the central nervous system. What is the typical appearance of Merkel cell carcinoma on pathology? Merkel cell carcinoma appears as a high-grade, aggressive neuroendocrine tumor on pathology. This means that it has uh, small, round blue cells, and this can form um, a trabecular or a sheet-like pattern. Uh, There are high rates of mitosis and apoptosis and necrosis, and the hallmark marker on immunohistochemistry positive for Merkel cell is CK20. How should we manage the N0 neck in Merkel cell carcinoma? Merkel cell cancer has a very high rate of occult metastasis, and therefore, according to NCCN guidelines, all patients with an N0 neck should undergo sentinel lymph node biopsy for staging. If uh, a sentinel lymph node biopsy is positive, typically it's recommended to complete treatment for that neck, either in the way of a completion neck dissection or in radiation. Those are all my questions, and that's the show. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you next time.